This morning, we're going to continue into the study of uh, In the Beginning. We've been studying through the book of Genesis. And I hope you've enjoyed the study. I, I, I send out the scripture that I'm going to be covering uh, the week before. And I hope if you all are not on the email list, you'll get on it. And I hope you have a chance to read it. Sister Carol called me this week, and we had a long conversation about some things, and she had read it. And she was telling me some of the things that the Lord had spoke to her as she read it. And um, that's my desire for you, both in this study and in the study for Wednesday. How many of you know this book is alive? It's a living document. It's just as relevant today, what we're studying in the book of Genesis, as it was then. And you'll read it, and it'll speak something completely different to you than it speaks to me. Now, I have the privilege of standing up here on Sunday morning right now and giving to you what God gave to me as I studied. But my desire for you is that you study it and read it. And if you'll read it and say, Lord, speak to me, he will. You will glean something out of the book. You'll read it and read it and read it. And then you'll read something that you know you've read many times before. And God will speak something completely different to you through that. So I encourage you. My desire is as a church, as we grow, uh, that we grow spiritually and we do that through his word. So this morning we're going to look at Lot. And uh, when I, I had almost skipped Lot, but I couldn't get Lot out of my spirit. So I said, you know, I'm not going to skip Lot. And when I first titled this message, I titled it Lot, Choices and Consequences. But as I thought through that, I thought, no, I think I will title it Righteous Lot. Because that's how Peter describes him. And I think as we look at the life of Lot and some of the things that happened to him, not unlike today, we see a guy who has gotten himself in a pretty bad situation. He suffers some heavy consequences. And if we're not quick, careful, we'd be looking at him and say, well, that guy must have got outside the graces of God. He must be lost. He must be a sinner. That wasn't the case with Lot. Lot knew the Lord. The Bible called him righteous. Peter called him righteous. And if you remember from the study of Noah, the first time the, the word righteous was used in the Bible was with Noah. And it describes our relationship to God. How does God see us? Today, God sees you as one of two things, righteous or unrighteous, saved or lost. And the righteousness in the Old Testament came through faith, just like it does to us today. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, today we believe God. Now we have a righteousness from heaven. Now we believe upon Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. And that's where we get our righteousness. If it's your righteousness this morning, the Bible says it's this filthy rags. If you stand before the Lord in your righteousness, you will be eternally lost. But if you come to the cross, if you come to Christ and say, Lord, repent and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I, I have failed you. I have sinned before you. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And that's a lifelong process. Something happens. An exchange takes place. He takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. Now when I stand before God, when my day comes, as we sang about on that last day, and I stand before a holy God, the only way that, I'm, that I am accepted to him, to be accepted in his presence, is he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. I'm covered in Christ. That's where our righteousness comes from. But Lot was called righteous. Several years ago, I had, had a, a, the privilege to meet a young man by the name of Kiwan Hester. Kiwan Hester. I, I would encourage you to go to Kiwan Hester's shop. He, he has a uh, bakery called Favor Desserts. It's down in the, 
uh, South Durham area around the 54-55 area. Matt, you can pop in sometime. And, but I met Kiwan when I was still working for the, for the police department. Kiwan had spent about four years in federal prison selling drugs. And uh, while he was in prison, he decided to uh, be a, learn to bake. Well, he comes out of prison, and, and he starts a bakery business, and I had, a cho- I had the opportunity to be at a, at a meeting with him where he had some, we had some at-risk people there, and he was telling his story. And what I remember distinctly about Kiwan as he told his story was he stood up in front of us and others, and he had a podium kind of like this, and he said, I look at young people, and as I look at them, he said, I remind them that life is about, and this is what he would do, he said, life is about choices consequences, choices, consequences. And I remember that. I remember that. The only other thing I remember in addition to that was he brought a red velvet cupcake that was out of this world. <laughs> and I've never forgotten it. I looked up him up and his, his shop is still open and he's still talking to young people. But life is about choices and consequences. Oftentimes, if there's anything that drives me insane in society today is everybody blames someone else for where they are. Nobody wants to take responsibility for nothing. But we, at some point, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, Tammy and I are really into the uh, real-life murder mysteries like 2020 and Dateline, and we like to watch those things. She's particularly infatuated. She loves ID TV, investigative discovery about... You know, every time I come in, she's watching something about how somebody murdered someone and got away with it, and I'm starting to sleep with one eye open, wondering what in the world she's got planned for me next. And, and so, but what I, what I notice about these, these stories is the storylines many times is often that it, it might be a, a man, and he might, you know, see a young lady in his office, and then a flirtatious uh, office relationship starts, and then it comes into a full-blown affair, then she's pregnant, and then the next thing you know, he's, he's, he's formulating a plan to murder his wife. And I'm thinking, how, you know, how did that one choice, how did that one thing start? He, this, this person would have never thought in a million years that I'm going to prison. But it all started somewhere with one choice that led and just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And such is the case with Lot in some ways. We see Lot. Lot is introduced with Abraham. When we first see Abraham, Abram as he is known then, is when, and, and last week we looked at, in depth at Abram when he, on the call of Abram. When he was called, he was called to go out of his land. God had called him. God had revealed himself to him. God gave him some promises. But as soon as we see Abram, we see Lot. And when Abram leaves and he obeys God, the Bible says he takes Lot with him. Lot is his nephew. Abram's brother had died. And now Lot was taken under Abram's wing, and he takes him. So everywhere that Abram goes, Lot goes. And no doubt throughout the course of that, Abram has told Lot all the things that's happened, how God has called him, the promises of God, that how he's going to make him a great nation, how the name is going to be great, and all the things that we covered last week, Lot certainly would have known about because he had been with Abram or Abraham the entire time. So we'll look just for a minute at Lot and some of the things he did that maybe got him off course. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 13, we'll be looking at, I'm going to read all of Genesis 13, but we'll also look some at Genesis 19. And for next week, as we go back to Abraham, the the reading would be the same. If you haven't read Genesis 12 through 20, read Genesis 12 through 20. 
and I'll be reading Genesis 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went up with Abram, had, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they may dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw that all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, the land, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is a living document. God, I thank you I come and read it often and you speak to me. Lord, you walk with me and you talk with me as we sang about this morning. God, and often that comes through your word as we come to know you. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, as I, as I, uh, as I uh, handle your word this morning, that I handle it well. God, that I stay true to what the intent of it was. And most of all, Lord, that you use me, that your Holy Spirit might move through me to speak to the hearts of those who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to look at is Lot's solid foundation. Lot's solid foundation. Many times I said, oftentimes people want to blame someone else for their, the bad predicament they're in. But we do know that oftentimes, and unfortunately more and more, we're seeing that children are coming from broken homes and our, and our, our raisins can affect us. It does. So I'm not here to dismiss that, but Lot had a solid foundation. Now, Lot had experienced a, a crisis in life. He lost his father young, but he was taken under his wing by Abram. He was taken by him and raised by a godly man. He was raised by an uncle who trusted God and called on the name of the Lord. The Bible says several times of Abram that he built altars and he called on the name of the Lord. But as I studied this text and I read it in several places, what I never see is where Lot built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And so what I began to wonder, I began to wonder, was Lot relying on Abram's faith? And I want to tell you here, if you're here this morning, young people, and you're, and you're still under the roof of your mom and dad, 
and they're godly and they were trying to raise you in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, you need to thank God for that. As I, as I see little James and Owen run around and some of these other smaller kids run around, I think they have no idea how blessed they are. To have a mom like Christy and Michael that are raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, what they're giving them that is so special. And I wish that that was the case, but we're seeing less and less in that. But the bottom line is, when those boys grow up, if you're here this morning and you've grown up, at some point that faith has to become your own. It has to become your own. There's been times people have visited the church and over the years, and I've went up and said, hey, I'm, I'm Larry Smith. Good to have you today. Uh, how did you come to Bethel? And they, 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 I, they, they, It's almost like they were offended. I grew up in this church. My, my grandma and grandfather, they were founding members of this church. Okay, I've never seen you before, but okay. But here's the thing. When I stand before the Lord, when you stand before the Lord, it's often been said, God doesn't have any grandchildren. I've got to do business with God. Young people, you have to do business with God. Because when you reach that age of accountability, that age where you know the difference between right and the difference between wrong, if you get called out of this earth, it will be you and God. And as I opened up, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you've put your trust in Christ. Not how godly your grandmother was, not how godly your mother and father was. It is an individual, personal faith. But it never said that Lot built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. Lot also had great wealth. So he couldn't use money. Well, I don't have any money. I'm coming from a poor family. That couldn't be used as an excuse. The Bible says they were both wealthy. Abram was wealthy in silver and gold and livestock. And the Bible says that Lot was wealthy in cattle and, and livestock. This is the first place where wealth is used in the Bible. The New King James Version it causes it riches. First place that it's used. Wealth or riches is having an abundance, much more than we need. And church, I'm here to tell you that probably everybody that's sitting under the sound of my voice, we all have much more than we need. I have more clothes than I need. I have certainly have more cars than I need. I have a lot of more things than I need. And God's blessed us. But I, and, and it's okay. Wealth, wealth and riches, which most of us are, it's not sin. That's not a sin within itself. It's not. But it comes, a lot of responsibility comes from it. Because here's the thing. That may be the first time it's mentioned in the Bible, but it certainly is not the last. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible of money and possessions. Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than heaven and hell. And I found it interesting that the very first time that riches and wealth is mentioned in the Bible, do you know what it does? It causes a problem. And you want to see money cause a, something cause a problem? Money can cause a problem. I heard a pastor one time say that money is an explosive issue. And it is. You want to see families fight? You want to see someone get at each other's throat? Let there be someone who pass away. Let there be an inheritance. And let the family feel like they're, they're not getting their fair share. They'll be at each other's throat. Not unique to our time. It happened in Jesus' day. Jesus in Luke 12 13 through 15, by this time he's been teaching, by this time he's done miracles, by this time people are maybe beginning to wonder this man may be the Messiah. And besides all that, one man in the crowd, he had something else he wanted Jesus to deal with, and it's found in Luke 12, 13 through 15, where it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, 
Take heed. And this is for us today. Take heed of, and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I thank God for my things. I thank God for my stuff. We all have stuff. We have more stuff than we should. But it's not what my life consists of. It's not what my life consists of. We say it. It's kind of a cliche. But I have yet to see a money truck following a hearse. I'm not taking any of that stuff with me. If God gives it to you, remember where it came from. Deuteronomy said, it's the Lord who gives me the ability to make wealth. Remember, it came from him. He owns it all. God, you have everything that I have. I'm just a good steward of it. Now, how can I take it and, and bless people with it, bless your kingdom with it, and also enjoy it? You just have to keep it in its right perspective. Paul, talking to Timothy, said this of money. He said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And that's what we see here. What has happened now is this wealth, these possessions have caused a problem, and we see one of Lot's first decisions where I think it all started is right here is how he handled this. Verses uh, 6 through 9 and, and, and 13 says this, And the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were great, and they could not dwell together. And that prompted Abraham to say, ho, ho, ho. And I, I wondered, I said, what, what, caused the, what caused the fuss? What caused the fuss? The Bible says that the land couldn't hold them both. I don't know if there wasn't enough room for all the cattle to graze or water. Or I'm wondering if one of Abraham's cows ended up over on Lot's side. And Lot went over, or Abram's herdsman went over and said, That's not your cow, that's my cow. And there was a big fuss over it as we see people fussed. They don't know. But I do know that it had caused some problems in the relationship. And that caused Abraham to say, Look, Lot, I don't want there to be any problems between me and you. And that's ultimately where it was headed. Abraham was wise enough to know that. So he said, let's do this. Let's separate. And he told Lot, he said, Lot, if you'll go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And you might say, well, why was that a bad choice? It was a very bad choice. Because what Lot should have done is said, Uncle Abraham, no way. No way. You've taken me. You've raised me. You've taught me about the things of God. You choose, Uncle Abraham. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. And I think about today's society. Let me tell you something, young people, once again, if you're here. It's very, very important. And this is going to be very important as we think about the future of this church. To honor the people who have gone before us. To honor our elders. Those people who've been serving the Lord a long time. They got gray hair. They got some wrinkles. I'm getting there with them. But they've walked with God a long time. And I would suggest that if they have some advice that you, maybe you might want to listen to them. Because they've walked through life. One of, the, one of the saddest stories in the Bible is found in 1 Kings 12, 1 through 15. If you want to write that down somewhere, you can read it today. But Solomon has died and his son Rehoboam is going to take the kingdom over. And so some people come to Rehoboam and they said, Listen, your father was hard on us. He taxed us heavy. And he, Rehoboam wanted to be the king. He said, Can you just take it easier on us now that your dad's died? And Rehoboam said, that's Solomon's son. He says, I tell you what, guys, go away, come back in three days, and I'll give you an answer. Well, the Bible says that he called the elders to come give him some advice. These were the men who knew Solomon. These were the older men. These were the men who had served with Solomon. He said, what should I do? And they said, look, 
take it easy on them. If, you, if you'll serve these people and treat them right, they'll make you king and, and, and they'll serve you. He said, okay, I'll take that under advisement. Well, then Rehoboam calls his buddies. He calls the younger generation. They'd been his friends all along. And he says, what should I do, guys? And they say, hey, when they come before you, you tell them, you think my father was bad on you? You wait till I get done with you. It's going to be ten times worse. Well, guess whose advice Rehoboam takes? He takes his buddy's advice. The old people don't know what they're talking about. They're old. They're washed up. They don't know how to use Facebook and this stuff. So, no, I'm going to listen to, these, to my buddies. And it was a terrible decision. It cost him the kingdom. He didn't listen to good counsel. He heard what he wanted to hear. Now, it's easy, I think, for me and maybe for some of us a little older to say, that's right, y'all need to listen to us. Well, it's also important to us who are older to honor our younger folks. Paul, talking to Timothy, said, no one despise you because of your youth. Our young people, I thank God for young people today in their 20s and 30s who are serving the Lord. It's harder today than it was when I was there. And if they're serving the Lord and they're working in the kingdom of God and they got something to say, I want to hear it. It might be different. It might be a different perspective, but I want to hear it. I want to hear what they have to say. So it's important. But that's not what Lot did. He didn't honor Abraham. And then it says that he looked. When Abraham gave him this decision, the Bible says that he looked and saw. He immediately looked up and saw the plains of the Jordan. Oh, that looks nice up there. I hate it for you, Uncle Abraham. I know it's a little dusty desert you got right here, but I'm going over here where it's happening, where maybe I can get more money, maybe I can grow, maybe I can have fun. I'm leaving up Uncle Abraham. He looked and he saw. And every bad decision generally starts with a look. If you go all the way back to me to Genesis 3, what happened when Eve, she looked, she saw that the, that the food was good. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive because once you look, then it becomes a thought. And we got to get a hold to it right then. And maybe you won't end up as an episode of IDTV. But he didn't. He didn't do that. He looked and he saw. And then it says he chose for himself. It was all about Lot. It was all about Lot. And church, that should never be the mark of the follower of Christ. We're called to put everyone before ourselves. But we don't do that. We see people fussing. I don't like the length of the service. I don't like the type of music. I don't like this preacher. I don't like that. I, 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 I. It's not about I. We've got to put others before ourselves. If you, if, you, if you go do a Google search of scriptures on selfishness, you will get so many that will come up. But one is Philippians 2, 3. It says, Let nothing be done in selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's hard to do. That's hard for me to do. But isn't that what Jesus did? The Bible says he didn't count it anything to be honored to be equal with God. But he humbled himself. He came down to earth even to death on a cross. The Son of God, God himself, stepped out of heaven, out of the glories and the riches of heaven, humbled himself to come down here to earth to die in our place. And he's our example. And that's how we should follow him. But Lot was choosing for himself. Abraham valued his relationship over his rights. Abraham really had a right to choose, and he could have. He could have flexed it. He could have said, I'm the patriarch. I've taken you under my wing. Lot, no, you're not making this decision. 
I am. I found this and found it to be interesting. It said, whenever our right becomes the guiding factor of our lives, it dulls our spiritual insight. The greatest enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but good choices which are not good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. In this passage, it would seem that the wisest thing in the world for Abram to do would be to choose. It was his right, and the people around him would consider him to be a fool for not choosing. But he didn't. He humbled himself. But Lot chose for himself. And then Lot dwelt, and he pitched his tent. So he actually went to Sodom. He went right out there, and he pitched his tent in the area of Sodom. I found it interesting that the the city of Sodom was just outside the promised land. Just outside the promised land. Abram decided to stay in the promised land. Church, let me tell you, when you get just outside the promises of God, when you get just outside the covering of God, you can expect the consequences. You can expect the consequences. They may not mean you're lost. They may not mean that God doesn't love you anymore. But when you get outside the promises of God, when you decide to choose for yourself and do it your way, and that's that's what Lot did. He pitched his tent just outside of the promises of God. But interesting, the Bible says when Lot, Bible says Lot lifted his eyes. But later on down in the chapter 13, it says, God said to Abraham, you lift your eyes. You know, I got to wonder when Lot went away, was, was Abram thinking, you know, I wonder if I made the right decision. I mean, there goes Lot. Maybe, maybe he chose right. That, that, that plane over there does look mighty good. And may, maybe that's where I should have gone. I don't know. And it was tough to watch his, his, tough to watch his, uh, his, uh, his nephew walk away. You know he was concerned about him. But we'll see later on that, Lot also, that Abraham also was a man of prayer. He was a man of intercession. And I know some of you today are concerned about your children. You're concerned about your grandchildren. They're not outside the graces of God. They're not outside the protection of God. Abraham went to pray, and he went at man of action too, but he went to pray. And, and we'll see in a few minutes that the prayers of God, the prayers of Abraham to God, protected his nephew. It protected him. Now, I also think that God was protecting Lot because I think he was in right standing. But I also think he honored the prayers of his uncle. But the Bible says that God said to Abraham, you lift up your eyes. I know you see Lot, and I know he's made his choices. But look around, Abel. I know you're in this old dusty desert, and I know that looks good, but look up, look all around you. Look at all this land. It's yours, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to build a city here, and you're going to be great. And sometimes we have to stay and trust the promises of God. Even though we can't see the outcome, it takes faith, but we have to trust the promises of God. Before I get into the uh, consequences, I want to... Before I, before I deal with Lot set at the gate, I want to look just for a minute at, at the consequences. Right after Lot pinched his tent, the Bible says he was taken captive in war. So he gets over there. He's in Sodom. The next thing you know, there is a war. A war breaks out. The king of Sodom is taken in custody by the, by the enemy. And it says that Lot was also taken. Everything that was in Sodom was taken, included Lot and his possessions. Well, somebody went and told Uncle Abraham, he said, a war's broken out, and your, your nephew Lot has been taken captivity. Well, Abraham was also a man of action. Sometimes I think we, wanna, we, 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 need to, we also need to be people of action, just not people of prayer. I've heard it said this, pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you. It takes both. I think too many times we come and we pray and we pray and say, God, do something, make something happen. He wants to make something happen. He wants you to get up and start moving. 
He wants you to do something, and he's going to come along with you. But Abram was a man of action. He got him 318 men. He said, no, no, I'm going to go get my nephew. And he went and got him. The Bible says he rescued him and brought him back. But it doesn't tell us when, but at some point, do you know what Lot did? He turned around and he went right back to Sodom. He went right back. Proverbs 26, 11 says, A dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And we've seen people sometime, and they, they get out in the world, and things get bad, and they come back to the church, and they're doing better, and then all of a sudden, you've seen it happen, they're back out, and you're like, why? Why do you do that? But sometimes we do that. But he goes right back to Sodom. And not only does he go back to Sodom, apparently he becomes entrenched in the city. Sitting at the gate in the Old Testament means that he became part of the ruling body. He became part of the government of Sodom. And the Bible says this was an exceedingly wicked city. But he called Lot righteous. There's always this balance we have to find, church, of being not, but being in the world, but not a part of the world. It's, it's, it would be easy to come in here and shut ourselves in. I'm not being polluted by that old world out there. You're right, but you ain't having no impact on it either. But if you're going to walk out there and be salt and light to that world, you've got to be careful not to be sucked into it. You've got to be careful not to be sucked into it. Pastor Stephen Cole said this, As Christians, we always face a tension. If we pull out of the world too far, we lose our witness because there's no contact. If we blend in with the world, we lose both our fellowship with God and our witness to the world. Jesus was the friend of sinners, but he was never tainted by their sin because he put a premium on fellowship with the Father. And he never sought the approval of the world. He was in the world with a clear sense of his mission to glorify the Father and to seek and save the lost. If we want to line up with Abram rather than with Lot, we've got to be people of the tent and the altar, pilgrims and worshipers here to bear witness. We must put fellowship with God above the approval of the world in all of our decisions and that can be hard so if you're going to go out there and do what God's called us to do and have an impact on this world you better spend some time before the Lord you better be prayed up you better be in your word because if you get out there the Bible says sin's fun for a season it will suck you in and so you need to be people of the altar and people of the fellowship of the Lord that would not happen a lot lot became part of the world and then the consequences first he was tormented by the people of Sodom. In Genesis 19, 1 through 11, I'm not going to read that. Many of you know the story. Angels have come into the city. God has come to Abram. He said, that city is wicked. I'm going to destroy it. So two angels go into the city to see what's going to happen. And that's where Abram starts praying. Because Abram knows Lot's there. Abram knows Lot is there. And some of you know that some of your family is out in the world. Lot starts praying. I mean, Abram starts praying. And he starts having a conversation with God. He says, God, will you destroy the city? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 50 righteous people? He said, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. And it comes down from there. 45, 30, 20, all the way down to 10. Okay, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy the city. And at that point, two angels come in. They come to, they see Lot. And Lot says, hey, come on in. Don't, you can stay with me tonight. He, he, these thieves weren't angels. They looked like people, but they were angels. You know, Hebrews says this, Be careful how you deal with strangers. You may be entertaining angels. But these angels came, 
And Lot said, no, you don't have to sleep out in the square. Come on here and I'll you know, eat under my roof. He was being a good, a good councilman, a good guy of good hospitality. Well, the Bible says the city was so wicked that people from all over the city came and said, we saw those two men go in. We, you, we want to come in and we want to have sexual relations with those men. And Lot steps out and says, oh, men, don't do this wicked thing. And you know what they do? And does this doesn't sound like our culture today. They get angry. Who do you thought you think you're going to judge me? They get angry with Lot. And then what causes Lot to say, I have two daughters, take them. How depraved can sin take us? How far can it take us if we're not careful? And then they start to, the Bible says the men start to push against the door to try to get in. And the angels reach out and they grab Lot and they jerk him in and they say, get your family, get them ready, get them out of here. I'm about to destroy the city. And the Bible says Lot hesitated. First, he told his son-in-laws. He said, guys, get, everybody get ready. He told his daughters, his wife, y'all get ready. The angels have told us, let's get out of here. You know what the son-in-laws say? Just like in the days of Noah. Come on, man. Don't tell me you're one of those. God's not going to destroy the city. I'm not going nowhere. And Lot hesitated. Why would Lot hesitate? Everything he had was there. His life was there. His wealth was there. Everything was there. But God in his mercy knew Lot. He remembered Lot. And he heard the prayers of Abram. And the Bible says those two angels took him and said, let's go and let's go now. But it cost him his wealth ultimately. And as he's going out and he's fleeing, the, the angel said, don't look back now. Don't look back. But I guess his wife, he must have took his wife in Sodom. Everything she had was back there too. And she's like, well, she just took that one look back. And sometimes that's all it takes, church. I've known people before who's been in addictions. So sad. I've seen it. We've seen it in our church. We see it in society. They come out. They come out of those addictions, whether it's alcohol addictions or drug addictions. And they think, I can just do one more time. And one more time leads them right back to where they were. But she looked back, and the Bible says she turned to a pillar of salt. So he lost his wealth, and then he lost his wife. All started with a choice, but had heavy, heavy consequences. So how, are we to, how should we approach major decisions in our life today? We're still making decisions today. Most of the time, they're, they're minor, where I'm going to eat, you know what I'm going to do for the day. But many times in our life, we will make major decisions. First, rely on the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Everything you need in life for life and godliness, whether it's trying to deal with people, how to deal with your family, how to deal with money, you can find in the, in the Word of God. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He'll light and guide your way. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's, that's, church, that's true. Rely on the word of God. Seek godly counsel. It is always incredible to me when I hear about people within the church, within the body of Christ, who've made a big decision, and they did not ask anyone. And it wasn't the best decision. At least talk to someone. At least have a, a group within the church that maybe those gray-haired people and maybe some young people and say, listen, I'm thinking about this, whether it's how to 
manage money or whether it's a relationship or whatever. Seek godly counsel. I hate to see people go out and make bad decisions and I say, I wish they had talked to someone. And please, please don't go out into the world of the pagans of, of social media and get their advice. They're going to give you the world's advice. The, the, Psalm 1 says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Seek godly advice. Proverbs 11 and 14 says, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And 15 and 22, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Lastly, pray and seek for wisdom. If you sought the Lord, if you know his word, if you've talked to some people, talk to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you have that personal relationship with him? Talk to him. Get down on your knees before him and say, God, I need, to, I need direction. You might be surprised how he will direct you. You might be surprised how he'll put someone in your path or something in your path to give you guidance. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Rely on the word of God. Seek godly counsel. Pray and ask God for wisdom. And lastly, you make a bad decision. Repent and accept the consequences. Don't blame it on everybody else. Don't say the devil made me do it, although we all know he had some, some hand in it somewhere. But most of the time, we just made a bad choice. We sinned oftentimes. We, we like to call that mistake. Oh, you made a mistake. No, you sinned before the Lord. But you know what he says? If we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a gracious God. He's a forgiving God. And we might make some bad decisions. Maybe you're here this morning, you've made some bad decisions, and you're pay paying for life's consequences. Well, that's okay. We love you here. God loves you, and he will set you on the right path. If you'll put your trust in him, today is a new day. Today will be a new starting point for you. When you come to him, he says, I cast it as far as the, uh, from the east to the west into the sea of forgetfulness. Man, if you guys will come forward. God is a God of second third and fourth chances and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for that so a couple things I want you to know out of this one make good choices two if you have someone who's out there a family member you keep praying for them you keep praying for them you know when the when the when the fire was raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah Abram was over there in the promised land all he could see was it happening he's I know he's thinking gosh I wonder what's happening to Lot. I wonder what's happening to Lot. And some of you have some loved ones out in the world today, and you're like, I wonder what's happening to my loved one. I wonder. Abraham had no way of knowing that the angel was over there honoring those prayers, honoring those prayers, honoring those prayers. You keep praying for your, your, your loved ones, and you trust God to, to bring them back home. But the greatest decision that you will ever consider or that you will ever make is whether or not you're going to put your trust in Christ. The greatest thing you will ever do if you're here this morning, I'm going to ask everyone if you would to stand. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in the Lord, or if there's something going on in your life, maybe you're, maybe you're in the midst of some consequences of some things you wish you had done different. Maybe you're away from the Lord a little bit. This altar is open.
I'm going to pray, and they're going to start to sing, and I just want you to know the altar's open. We always end our service with a time for you to come before the Lord. Have you done business with God? Are you a young person here this morning? Have you done business with God? I hope so. That's what we want. We want to know that we see you in heaven one day. The Lord says he not that any would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of him. That's what we want. So if you're here this morning, you've never put your trust in him. You're here this morning and, and Satan's been in your ear. Maybe there's been some bad choices. And he's telling you, God don't love you anymore. Look at the things you've done. Look at the consequences. That's a lie. Don't listen to it. Listen to the God who forgives. The God who says, forgive 70 times 7. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your compassion, your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. God, when we've messed it up, and you're there. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would flow out through this, off this platform amongst the people here. God, if they need something from you, that they'll come and receive. They'll come and receive. They can receive in their pew. I get that. But sometimes when we come out and kneel at this altar, as we, we talked about altar last week, it, it, it's a place dedicated to you. It's a place to meet you. I pray that there would be some that would come and meet you this morning. Lay their burden down here. Know who they are in you. Church, this altar is open. I ask if you would like to come down and pray, come. If you would like someone to pray with you, there will be someone come around and pray with you. This altar is open.